Hillcrest Church. I'm Rhonda Litton. We have our e-bulletin available online with links to our Connect form and website. You can access this by opening the camera app on your iPhone or Android device and pointing it at the QR code on the screen. If you're new with us today, we are so glad that you've joined us. Please connect with us by going to presschurch.tv or by snapping the QR code with your device and clicking on the I'm new link. This is not a commitment to anything, but an opportunity for us to support you and thank you for joining us. Press Youth will be meeting tonight, 6 to 7.30 p.m. at our PAL campus. This is a great opportunity for our youth to connect with each other and learn more about God. Each Monday night from 6 to 8.15 p.m., we partner with the Dream Center in Delaware to deliver groceries to families in need. We build relationships with these families and grow in our own faith as we serve others. You can volunteer once or twice a month or even weekly. To find out how to participate, please contact Pastor Jason at jason.allison at presschurch.tv. If you would like to join Press Church in making a difference in this community, there are four ways you can support us financially. If you're visiting a campus in person, there's a box by the back exit of the worship center where you can drop your support as you leave. If you'd prefer to send a check, please send it to 8794 Big Bear Avenue, Powell, Ohio, 43065. The easiest way to give is by visiting our website or texting any amount to the number 84321. Let's celebrate everything God has given us and support the community both locally and globally. Now, let's prepare to engage what God has for us today. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you guys today. My name is Sean Lee. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're visiting for the first time, it's great to have you. And for those watching us online, it's good to have you guys as well. I told you guys last week, I knew I shouldn't have called it. Uh, last week was 70 degrees. You guys remember that? 70 degrees. I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cold again. I didn't know we'd get a couple inches of snow, but you know, yeah, I'd, it's very unfortunate. But you should know by now, if you're in Columbus, you should know better. You should know it's, it, there's always that tease. It's like, oh, it's going to be spring. Not quite. Not quite. Um, I, I, I want to brag on myself a little bit. Um, <laughs> I like so uh, my wife uh, was out of town this weekend, and I just want to brag that I, all of my kids still have all of their limbs and are still alive and were fed and got sleep. And I even picked out clothes for them to wear this morning. So I just want to, you know, maybe, you know, if my wife is watching this, uh, I appreciate everything that you do. <laughs> right? It's distance, what is it? Is it distance makes the heart grow fine or, or separation or something like that? Absence. There you go. I didn't, I didn't prepare for that one, so thank you. Uh, yes, I, I appreciate my wife and everything that she does, and it's in the absence of something that you truly appreciate uh, what you have. So I am very appreciative to have a loving wife. Um, and I'm glad that she was able to get away this weekend and not have to deal with this cold weather. 
All right, so leverage it. How are we leveraging it? Um, this has been an, an interesting series, and I always love hearing feedback, uh, and it's, it's always fun to hear how different people um, hear things and how different people process this. There's some people like, leverage it, I don't know. Like, we talk about leveraging it all the time, like between the pastors. Like, we're always like talking about, how do we leverage this? How do we, it's like, it's part of our just DNA. Uh, in our press university class, you know, I, I talk about leverage it, and I, we, we say it even outside of the series, and it's this idea that it's like, we've been given something, you've been given something, we've all been given something, and the question is, how are we using that? Like, what, how are we stewarding that? We talked about that last week with gifts. You, you, we each have gifts. We each have things that God's given us. How are we stewarding that? It's not about earning God's love. It's not about earning your salvation, but it's like, hey, you, you've been given something, and we're going to continue in that this, this today, and is how do we leverage it? And the question for today is, how do we leverage our future? That sounds kind of sci-fi, right? How do you leverage your future? And you might be like, well, I don't know what my future is, so how can I leverage it? But there is things that we know about the future. There is things we know in our faith that we believe. And the question is, how do we leverage that? And what does it look like to leverage our future? So as always, Pastor CR, Pastor Jason, and myself, we hopped in the car we started talking about this. How do we leverage our future? Let's watch this video. Uh, hope in what? Right. What is our hope in? Right. That we're going to have uh, McMansion on the hill and, you know, right. a couple mil in the bank and, you know. A, I mean, I would enjoy that, right? You might for a period of time, <laughs> well, but it yeah. ain't going to solve all your problems. Yeah, it's yeah. going to create new ones, and yeah. you know, and right. you might not be built for that. So that right. that's not your it's not your yeah. sweet spot, even though right. you think it is. You right. Know? Yep. We present the the Christian faith as if it's packaged in such a way to solve all your problems. <clears throat> I will say some of this does sound like the introduction to. Uh, a multi-level marketing plan. <laughs> like, yes, I know of something that's that's better Let for you. Let me tell you, you how yeah. to leverage your future. And yes. I think that's a problem within the church world. Got to get in early, right? right. Exactly. Yeah, and we, it's yeah, we have a very transactional mindset, and so everything is transactional, right? And that's, I mean, that's a very Western way of thinking. Yeah. And so everything we do, it's a a equals B or you know, right. A plus B equals C. It's, yeah. Everything is laid out like that. Right. And so my faith is a transaction. Right. My and expressing yeah. faith to God in God or my submission to God is a transactional uh, relationship. Yeah. And But I don't think God sees it that way. No, and I, no. I, I can understand why somebody might push back and be like, what do you mean the Christian faith doesn't solve all your problems? Well, guess what? You're still going to have problems. Right. What it does is give you a framework to understand our hope is not built in this life yeah. it's built in something beyond this life yeah, jesus even said you're gonna face right. trials you're yeah. gonna have problems yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yes john 16 right? <laughs> right there's gonna be course, some issues he, he was also saying that within the context of you know being his follower and living out the way he says to live right <laughs> yeah, yeah. so like, on top follow of me yeah. you're actually gonna have problems yeah. as yeah. a result yeah. um, but they're better problems right that's the trick <laughs> what makes them what makes them a better problem I agree with you I'm just like hmm. can we identify what why is that a better problem yeah um, 
Well, I would put it as it's a better problem like this. I don't want to go to the gym. But if I go to the gym, I'm going to have more... I'm, I'm introducing a few problems. Okay. Right? I'm going to be sore. Yeah. And I'm going to have sweaty clothes. And I'm going to have a gym membership that I have to keep up with. Yeah. There's my gym, gym bag. Right my there. unused gym bag, by the way. It doesn't smell. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, those are new problems. But they're better problems than the unhealth that comes with not... Right, not going to the gym. So when we look at the Christian faith and we're like, oh, well, it's like this pill I'm going to take and everything's going to be perfect. Like, no, it's going to come with new challenges. And and that's the way it's going to be in this life because there's corruption here, right? right? Um, It doesn't automatically remove obstacles. But what it does is it gives you something greater than yourself to hold on to because you're not enough. Right. Here's a newsflash. You're not enough. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that, Jason. That's the intervention. It gives button. you a framework, too. You know, It gives you a framework to be able to lens what's happening yeah. and what's going on. And it. Uh, this is why I hate pop psychology when it says things like, you're enough. <laughs> no, you're, guess what? You're not enough. Yeah. Sorry, you're not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Feel great today. <laughs> right. yeah. You're going to need something more. Well, but there is something to that. We, we have substituted feel-good um, gospel, feel-good messaging um, for maybe some hard truth. And the hard truth leads to some good things sometimes. But you have to be able to swallow that pill. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a jagged little pill. But... <laughs> Great record. Nice, nice, Jason. Nice. But if if we're all about, oh, I just want you to feel good. I, I never want there to be pressure. I never want there to be something for you to work through. It's a disservice. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a disservice. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know if you take your kids, if you're a parent, yeah. or maybe you're an aunt or uncle or whatever, you have these kids... If, if if you just removed every possible obstacle from their life, yeah. uh, bubble wrap them and give I them. Don't want to be around those kids later. No, they're not they going to be they healthy don't know how kids. To handle anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it really comes back to ultimately, what do you put your hope in? Mm-hmm. If you're going to leverage your future, if you're going to leverage hope, you got to figure out what are you hoping in before you can begin to leverage it. Yeah, that's good. And I think the the thing we have to remember is we do have our hope in something. Whether we want to admit it or not, uh, we all put our faith, our hope in something. Usually it's ourselves, it's in a job, it's, you know, whatever. But uh, we don't don't think like that. We we don't necessarily say, oh, you know what, I'm going through my life and I'm putting a lot of stock in this. Uh, We we miss it. and, and usually it's in ourselves. We, we put hope in ourselves that we're going to be able to navigate a situation. We're going to be able to get through it ourselves. We have the strength to do it. Um, so with this hope question, uh, what does it look like to leverage your future in the framework of hope in Christ, of hope in Jesus? What does that look like? How would your daily life look different if your hope of the future was firmly in Christ? If your hope was in Jesus, would your daily life look different? I have it said like this. Leveraging your future is preparing yourself now for what is to come later. Preparing for the future, leveraging the future is preparing yourself now for what is to come later. Uh, You can think about this. Uh, you, You might remember when you were in high school. We might have some high school students here. There's things you do in high school 
to get ahead, to prepare yourself for what's going to happen after high school. I, I know kids that take college courses in high school, so they don't have to take them when they get to college. They know that something's going to happen later. They know they're, gonna, they, they're, they're moving towards something, so they get those classes out of the way, and they get to college, and hey, now I don't have to take those classes. I already did it. They're, they're ahead. They prepare. I, myself, I remember my senior year, I actually dropped a class because I didn't need to graduate. I didn't need the, the, the credits. I didn't need what I was going to learn in that for where I was going to go next. Now you could say that was good or bad, and it's always good to get extra learning in, but I did that because I thought I knew where I was going. I said, I had a plan, and so I'm gonna adjust, I'm going to prepare now for what I think is going to happen later. We leverage what we have now for what we believe to be true is later. Parents, think about this, your kids, you're assuming they're going to be leaving the house at some point, God willing, right? <laughs> your kids are eventually not going to be in your care. And so you have however many years to prepare them for life outside of being in your house. And you think about that. You think about as your kid is growing up, there's things that you're going to talk with them about. There's things you're going to, you know, prepare them for. Now, when they're three years old, you're not talking to them about, well, you know, here's how life really is, kid. You know, you, 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 they're three years old. There's certain needs they have at that point that you're going to deal with. It's about like, you know, here's how you share, right? Adults are still terrible at this, but here's how you should share. But think about that. We're preparing our kids for something we hope for in the future. We hope they're going to be leaving our house. We hope that they're going to be going out and be adults and can be people in society that, that are doing good things. So you're actively doing something now based on a belief of what you think is going to happen. Our approach to this series and this leveraging it series is really about leveraging it for the sake of God and his mission. It's not just about leveraging it for a better life or leveraging it for you know, looking good. It's about what is God's mission and how are we leveraging what we have for his mission. I think a major part of leveraging our future is understanding the heart of God. We've talked about this a little bit throughout this series, but understanding the heart of God, that's, that could be difficult. That's, a, that's an ongoing process of understanding who God is. It can seem simple. Know God, right? Read your Bible. Pray. But that process isn't easy. You ask anybody of any age who's actively trying to learn about God, you, it doesn't matter how old they are. They're learning something. They're growing. They're finding out new ways. They're, 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 they're growing in their faith and in their understanding of God. It never stops. And so it's, it's fairly difficult if we try to think about the heart of God. But if we're going to leverage what we have, we have to understand how to leverage it, for, leverage it for him. And here's the thing. When we look at the heart of God in Scripture, you know, we can look at the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And I was thinking about this. All right, how did, how did Jesus talk who did he talk to? How was he talking? Where was he going? What was he doing? And I, we, we see a lot of parables. I don't know if you guys are familiar with parables. We see a lot of parables. Um, and here, here's the thing about parables. Um, they're not the most simple things. They seem simple. They're, you know, they're short stories and you read them. And, but there's always, 
There's some weird things in them sometimes. How do, I, how do I deal with that? And here's the other thing. We as people, we're really bad at listening. <laughs> all the women laugh. <laughs> it's like, amen to that. But all of us, we're bad at listening. We like to talk. We like to be heard. We're bad at listening. That's what's interesting about these parables. You know, in Matthew 11, Jesus is, is talking, and he's talking in these parables, and he's, he says this line, whoever has ears, let them hear. It's this call to, to listen, to hear what's happening, to see. And in these parables, I think what we miss is they're not meant to clear up everything. They, they can be puzzling. They can force you to wrestle with what you think of the world. They force you to wrestle what you think of God. And this is the thing. You'll, you'll find yourself interpreting parables through what you think about God. So if you have thoughts about how God works, when you read these parables, you will then read them in the lens of, I think God is a certain way. And this is why it can be difficult, because sometimes our idea of God, or what we think about God, isn't quite right. And so we can read these parables thinking, oh, I'm learning more about who God is, but yet this is complex, and it's hard, and, and you're having to wrestle through it. And as a society, if we're honest, we like, we like uh, clarity, right? We want to know truth. We want, the, we, we, we want it in a nice package. We want to understand it. And you're going to continue to be frustrated when you read parables because it's not that simple. There's layers to it. It's complex. The other thing is that in our culture, we, we tend to answer to ourselves in culture. I'm, I'm the ultimate determiner of truth. And our faith in Jesus is totally opposed to that. Our sense of truth is found solely in, in, in God, in, in him. And so this is another tension point with parables is we just think through our own minds and we miss what God is actually trying to do in these parables. There was a, a guy by the name of Robert, I think it's Farah, Capone, Capon. It's Capon. I actually looked at it. It's not Capone because his wife like joked about that. Like everybody calls us Capone thinking we're like this Italian mob family. But anyways, in, in a book that he has called Kingdom Grace, Judgment, and the Parable of Jesus, he talks about parables. And I loved how he put it. He says this, for Jesus... The meaning of God's kingdom is a radical mystery. Even as he tells people about it, it remains permanently intractable to all attempts to fully grasp it. Jesus did not use the parables to explain everything to people's satisfaction, but rather to call into question people's previous understandings. In other words, the parables are trying to upset people's existing ideas as well as provide them new ones. He goes on to say later, they are meant to pop every circuit breaker in people's minds. After all our yammer and opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world. Sorry, I lost my spot. Getting people to just stand there with their eyes wide open and their mouths wide shut would be a giant step forward. This is what Jesus' parables are designed to do. I thought that was interesting. We, we want the answer. Just give me the end. Just tell me, the, just tell me how it's supposed to be, right? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And we approach our faith in this way. Tell me the formula. I talked about in the following weeks. Just give me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. 
And yet, that's not how we see Jesus working. That's it's seemingly more like the Pharisees than like followers of Christ. The Pharisees did it right. They followed the law. They kept, you know, it's a nice, neat thing. And yet, Jesus called them out more than almost anybody else. So when we read these parables, I want us to, to come with a humble heart. Read it in humility, knowing you don't have all the answers. And really, think about this. How do we hear what God is saying? So I'm going to read through a parable today that I think is um, in line with a series of Leverage It. And we'll just work through this together. This is in Matthew chapter 25. And we'll just read the parable together. It says this. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And I'm going to say this. A lot of these parables, they're talking about the kingdom of God. They're talking about uh, trying to framework. This is, you know, this is the kingdom. A lot of times in, in Scripture, you'll see this. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. And then he would go into a parable. So just keep that in your mind as we read this. The one he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went, off, then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave, gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that it, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I read this, there's, there's a wrestling. Again, our assumptions of God, they, they come out. We start to see, we start to read it in a certain way. What, what's he trying to say here? What, what are we supposed to get from this? What do you do with the last line? That doesn't seem very loving. Shouldn't he get another chance? I mean, the master, did he tell him that he was supposed to do that? 
Does one mistake define your life? Doesn't seem quite right. I personally wish there would have been a fourth guy. And that fourth guy would have been given whatever amount and went out and tried to get more but lost it. I would have liked to have seen that guy. Right? What would, what would the master have done with him? Because he tried and then failed. But is that the point? Again, we want this system. I want to know the rules. I want to know the right thing to do. What's the right thing to do here? And that's not, we don't see that. If Jesus was going for clarity here, I feel like he's missing it. Not to judge Jesus or anything. <laughs> Which, if he was going for clarity, and I don't see that clarity, maybe the point isn't the clarity. Maybe there's something else that's supposed to happen inside of us when we read this. So the question is, do we have ears to hear? Do we have ears to hear what Jesus is saying in this? And there's a few things that stand out to me, and I'm going to just walk through these. The first one is this. We are in a waiting period, but we must be ready. We are in a waiting period, but we must be ready. If you believe the Bible to be true, we believe that Jesus is coming back. You see it in Scripture. A triumphant return. We believe in that. And we have the promise of the Holy Spirit now, right? The Holy Spirit is with us in our lives, but we're still in this fallen world. It's still not perfected yet. We're in a waiting period. But just because we're waiting doesn't mean we should be stagnant. Just because we're waiting doesn't mean that there isn't anything to do, to look forward to, to have. Think about it like this, all right, you're, you're a parent, you tell your kids, you better clean your room before I get back. And if you're a kid, you may not know when they get back. And if you get back and the room has, well, I didn't know how long you were going to go. Well, I asked you to do something. We must be ready. I see it in Luke uh, chapter 12, verses 40. We see this verse. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. We don't know. It says soon. I'm like, well, what's soon? <laughs> this was written a long time ago. What's soon? But the question, or I guess the, the emphasis here is not about the time frame. It's not about soon or long or whatever. It's about being ready. And we, we look at this parable. And what I loved, I thought was great. The man who received five bags of gold went at once. There was an urgency. Went at once and put his money to work. Then also, the one with two bags gained of gold gained two more. They didn't say it if he went off at once. But with that first one, I, I love that image. It's like at once he went and he used what he had been given. He stewarded what he had been given. And even in, in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. They didn't know. He didn't say, hey, here's when I'm coming back. He gave them something. And in the series of Leverage It, you've been given something. You've been given life. You've been given a personality. You've been given gifts, skills, resources. And we know 
If we believe in, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe in, in, in the words that we read in Scripture, we know he's coming back. And so we must be ready. What does ready look like? The second point is this. We are held accountable. I don't like that. Right? Well, if I don't like, that doesn't feel good, so maybe it's not, maybe I'm not really held accountable. Nobody likes accountability. We like it when it's somebody else being held accountable. We don't like being held accountable. Give me grace. Give me mercy. We're really good at judging other people. And that's the thing. Most of us are way too concerned about how other people are doing things. Oh, well, you're not, you're, not, you're not stewarding your gifts well enough. You need to leverage it. Ah, maybe look inside first. You know, it's okay if you sin like me, but if you sin like that, that's, that's really bad. You really need to ask for forgiveness. Hmm. We're good at that one. We're really good at that one in the church. We're okay with people who sin the same way as us. But in this story, when we look at these people, the master didn't go to the guy with five bags and say, hey, why didn't you tell the guy with one bag to gain more? Or he didn't go to the guy with two bags and say, hey, why didn't you tell the other guy to... There was an accountability for each individual there. And this isn't, I, I want to I make sure that I am clear about this. This is not a works-based gospel that I'm talking about here. This isn't a, if you're good enough, God will love you. Or if you're good enough, that you're going to save yourself. No, we know we are saved by grace through faith. It is by, by, only by God's grace. It, it's almost showing we're not, we're not good enough. We don't have it enough. But there's an accountability for what you're given. You can't get away from it. You see it in Scripture. But you're accountable. You're not accountable for your friend or your neighbor. You're accountable for you, for your friend or your neighbor. What, how are you stewarding what God's given you? Or how are you using that? I could coerce people. I could, I could make you feel like a lot of shame and guilt and try and get you to do the right thing because you're afraid to go to hell. That is not the gospel of Jesus. That's not how he did it. He didn't go to people and say, oh, well, you better stop doing that. No. But there was seemingly, again, there's this accountability I see, and it's not a matter of, of being saved or not, but there's accountability of being involved in being a part of what God is doing, and he's put something in each of us. So are we being accountable to what we've been given? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we see a verse that says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So in this accountability, when we think about what we've been given, I want to ask, what's going on on the inside? I'm not just looking at what you do. What's going on on the inside? Why are you doing what you are doing? Are you doing it to look good? Are you doing it because you want people to think a certain way about you? 
I think that's the really unfortunate thing if we're honest with ourselves. We all do things because we want people to view us a certain way. I want you to, I want you to think that I'm a good person. So I'm going to do certain things to make you think that I'm a good person. We're really good at doing this in the church. We know the right thing to say. We know the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, God's looking at the heart. Where's your heart at? Are we more concerned about what Jesus thinks of us or somebody else? Jesus is looking at our heart. And so that's where we're accountable. That's where he's looking. The last one is this that I see in this story is there's seemingly in a, in a, a push to know the master. Know the master. When you look at the wickedness of this third person, the third servant, it seems to stem from his view of the master. His view of the master led to mistrust, it led to fear, and it led to laziness. You can see that. He comes back and says, you wicked, lazy servant. If he says, if you, if you knew that I was this, you should have at least done this. Know the master. Uh, I was thinking about this with fear, because a lot of us are, are driven by fear. Fear reflects areas that we don't trust God. And again, I, there's always this, this battle with parables where it's like you don't want to take too much, but you also don't want to put too much in. So I don't want to be like, you know, this, this, is, a, this is a story about people. But in putting myself in that servant three position, was there a fear? It seemed like there was a fear there. There was a fear that drove his actions. This fear of maybe screwing up this fear of not doing it right. And so I'm just going to hide it, I'm going to put it away, and I'm not going to use it. God's not worried about you just screwing up. Like, he knows we're human. <laughs> That's no surprise to him. But those who prepared properly seem to have a knowledge as well. They seem to be excited. There was an excitement about using it. The one, the, like I said, the one guy goes away right at once. Right at once, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it. And they trusted and they stewarded. And it was good. So, in leveraging it, what do we take from this? You've been given something. We've talked about this. You've been given something. God's trusted you with something. We know what will come. I'm talking about leveraging the future. We know what is to come. Our eternal hope is in Christ. This current life doesn't define us. The things that we have is going to fall away. That money is only going to be there until you spend it. And then after you're dead, it's not going to matter. 
you can think about it while you're here, about, well, I want my kids to have it. or That's fine. But is that where our hope is? And if that's where our hope is, our actions are going to stem from that. If my hope is only what I leave behind to my kids, then we're missing what God wants us to do for the future. Maybe care about their heart and their soul. And this isn't a message to demonize money or possessions or things. The question is, how are we utilizing these things that we've been given to honor God and to take his mission forward? Leverage it. Utilize it, not for yourself, for him. How do we know that? Know about him. Learn about him. This, coming to church, learning about God, reading scripture together, go to life group, read the Bible, pray. You want a formula? That's a good start. But again, where's your heart? Are you challenging yourself in that space? It's a challenge. Like, this, this is the thing. It's like, this isn't easy stuff. If I'm going to be honest, it's not easy stuff because I have to think about my intentions and my motives and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's way more simpler to say, well, I'm going to just be the nice person and do this and God loves me, whatever. But that's not the gospel. You're going back to the law. You're going back to what I do earns my salvation and that's not how it works. Our actions, what we do, is a byproduct of what we believe. We're putting the cart before the horse if we're saying, well, do good things, and then the stuff comes. No, get your heart right with God. Learn about God. Seek God. Read scripture. Wrestle through it with friends. Work through tough things like, well, what's this, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth? I don't want that. But I also know this, I don't think, based on other scripture and the things I see in scripture, I don't think God wants us to respond out of fear. That's not what this is trying to do, of like, oh, well, I don't want to go to hell, so what do I have to do? That's not the heart of what Jesus was saying. But he was telling you, you have something, I've given you something, you're in this life, how are you using it? Are you honoring me? Do you love me? Use it. Do you love me? Leverage it. I've got a mission. I'm doing something. I'm moving. I want you to be a part of it. Worship team, you guys can start coming back up. I'm going to go back to this, the, this, the first slide. Leveraging your future is preparing yourself now for what is to come later. Be ready. Embrace what you've been given. Seek to know the heart of God. We know this. Jesus is returning. He's coming back in our lifetime or another, and he desires for us to steward what we've been given. Are you doing that? Are you embracing your identity in Christ? We talk about identity in Christ all the time. You're going to hear it all the time here at Press Church. Are you embracing your identity in Christ? You're loved by God. You've been called by God. You have something. Leverage it. Use it. Don't be stagnant. Not to earn your salvation, not to get an A, not to do the right thing, but because you love God. And if you're not doing it out of love for God, if you're not doing it because you love God, be honest with it. Call it out. Jesus calls out hypocrisy all the time. 
That's the thing with the, the Pharisees. He called it hypocrisy. How can you say this when you're doing this? You're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but your heart is dark. Just be honest. We all struggle. We all have questions. We're all going to miss it at times. There's grace for that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're teaching us, the ways that you're challenging us. Uh, and, and God, we step into this wrestling process of not always having the, the answers and, and being okay with the fact that we don't have all the answers. And I think that's the beauty of a God is that we can uh, hopefully just rest on your love and your grace, knowing that we can't do enough or be enough and, and when we acknowledge that, it's, it's just profound how, how much you love us. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how you continue to use us. And I pray that we would leverage all that you've given us, God, that we, we know we have a future in you. We know our hope is in you. We know that beyond this life that, that we are trusting in you. And because of that, God, I pray that each of us in our weeks this week, in the coming weeks, that we will be able to look forward and have, and have that, that hope. And because of that, that will, that will inspire us in the here and now to not be stagnant and to not be lazy, but to be motivated to do good, to benefit those around us, to honor you with our lives, God, because you deserve it. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's your name we pray. Amen.